Section 5 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 3, Part 1. At a quarter to ten o'clock on the following morning, Pierre came down to the first floor of the mansion for his audience with Cardinal Bocconera he had awoke free of all fatigue and again full of courage and candid enthusiasm nothing remaining of his strange despondency of the previous night the doubts and suspicions which had then come over him the morning was so fine the sky so pure and so bright that his heart once more palpitated with hope on the landing he found the folding doors of the first ante-room wide open while closing the gala saloons which overlooked the street and which were rotting with old age and neglect the cardinal still used the reception rooms of one of his grand-uncles who in the eighteenth century had risen to the same ecclesiastical dignity as himself there was a suite of four immense rooms each sixteen feet high with windows facing the lane which sloped down towards the tiber and the sun never entered them shut off as it was by the black houses across the lane thus the installation in point of space was in keeping with the display and pomp of the old-time princely dignitaries of the church but no repairs were ever made no care was taken of anything the hangings were frayed and ragged and dust preyed on the furniture amidst an unconcern which seemed to betoken some proud resolve to stay the course of time pierre experienced a slight shock as he entered the first room the servants antechamber formerly two pontifical gente d'armi in full uniform had always stood there amidst a stream of lackeys and the single servant now on duty seemed by his phantom-like appearance to increase the melancholiness of the vast and gloomy hall one was particularly struck by an altar facing the windows an altar with red drapery surmounted by a baldacchino with red hangings on which appeared the escutcheon of the bocaneras the winged dragon spitting flames with the device bocanera alma rosa and the grand-uncle's red hat the old huge ceremonial hat was also there with the two cushions of red silk and the two antique parasols which were taken in the coach each time his eminence went out and in the deep silence it seemed as if one could almost hear the faint noise of the termites praying for a century past upon all this dead splendour which would have fallen into dust at the slightest touch of a feather broom the second ante-room that was formerly occupied by the secretary was also empty and it was only in the third one the anticamera nobile that pierre found don vigilio with his retinue reduced to what was strictly necessary the cardinal had preferred to have his secretary near him at the door so to say of the old throne-room where he gave audience and don vigilio so thin and yellow and quivering with fever sat there like one lost at a small common black table covered with papers raising his head from among a batch of documents he recognized pierre and in a low voice a faint murmur amidst the silence he said his eminence is engaged please wait then he again turned to his reading doubtless to escape all attempts at conversation not daring to sit down pierre examined the apartment it looked perhaps yet more dilapidated than the others with its hangings of green damask worn by age and resembling the faded moss on ancient trees the ceiling however had remained superb within a frieze of gilded and coloured ornaments was a fresco representing the triumph of amphitrite the work of one of raphael's pupils 
and according to antique usage it was here that the beretta the red cap was placed on a credence below a large crucifix of ivory and ebony as pierre grew used to the half-light however his attention was more particularly attracted by a recently painted full-length portrait of the cardinal in ceremonial costume cassock of red moiré rocher of lace and kappa thrown like a royal mantle over his shoulders in these vestments of the church the tall old man of seventy retained the proud bearing of a prince clean-shaven but still boasting an abundance of white hair which streamed in curls over his shoulders he had the commanding visage of the bocaneras a large nose and a large thin-lipped mouth in a long face intersected by broad lines and the eyes which lighted his pale countenance were indeed the eyes of his race very dark yet sparkling with ardent life under bushy brows which had remained quite black with laurels about his head he would have resembled a roman emperor very handsome and master of the world as though indeed the blood of augustus pulsated in his veins pierre knew his story which this portrait recalled educated at the college of the nobles pio bocanera had but once absented himself from rome and that when very young hardly a deacon but nevertheless appointed obligate to convey a beretta to paris on his return his ecclesiastical career had continued in sovereign fashion honours had fallen on him naturally as by right of birth ordained by pius nine himself afterwards becoming a canon of the vatican basilica and cameriere segreto he had risen to the post of maggiordomo about the time of the italian occupation and in eighteen seventy four had been created a cardinal for the last four years moreover he had been papal chamberlain camerlingo and folks whispered that leo thirteen had appointed him to that post even as he himself had been appointed to it by pius nine in order to lessen his chance of succeeding to the pontifical throne for although the conclave in choosing leo had set aside the old tradition that the camerlingo was ineligible for the papacy it was not probable that it would again dare to infringe that rule moreover people asserted that even as had been the case in the reign of pius there was a secret warfare between the pope and his camerlingo the latter remaining on one side condemning the policy of the holy see holding radically different opinions on all things and silently waiting for the death of leo which would place power in his hands with the duty of summoning the conclave and provisionally watching over the affairs and interests of the church until a new pope should be elected behind cardinal pio's broad stern brow however in the glow of his dark eyes might there not also be the ambition of actually rising to the papacy of repeating the career of gioacchino pecci camerlingo and then pope all tradition notwithstanding with the pride of a roman prince pio knew but rome he almost gloried in being totally ignorant of the modern world and verily he showed himself very pious austerely religious with a full firm faith into which the faintest doubt could never enter but a whisper drew pierre from his reflections don vigilio in his prudent way invited him to sit down you may have to wait some time take a stool then he began to cover a large sheet of yellowish paper with fine writing while pierre seated himself on one of the stools ranged alongside the wall in front of the portrait and again the young man fell into a reverie picturing in his mind a renewal of all the princely pomp of the old-time cardinals in that antique room to begin with as soon as nominated a cardinal gave public festivities which were sometimes very splendid during three days the reception rooms remained wide open all could enter and from room to room ushers repeated the names of those who came 
patricians people of the middle class poor folks all rome indeed whom the new cardinal received with sovereign kindliness as a king might receive his subjects then there was quite a princely retinue some cardinals carried five hundred people about with them and had no fewer than sixteen distinct officers in their households lived in fact amidst a perfect court even when life subsequently became simplified a cardinal if he were a prince still had a right to a gala train of four coaches drawn by black horses four servants preceded him in liveries emblazoned with his arms and carried his hat cushion and parasols he was also attended by a secretary in a mantle of violet silk a train-bearer in a gown of violet woollen stuff and a gentleman-in-waiting wearing an elizabethan style of costume and bearing the beretta with gloved hands although the household had then become smaller it still comprised an auditore specially charged with the congregational work a secretary employed exclusively for correspondence a chief usher who introduced visitors a gentleman in attendance for the carrying of the beretta a train-bearer a chaplain a majordomo and a valet de chambre to say nothing of a flock of underlings lackeys cooks coachmen grooms quite a population which filled the vast mansions with bustle and with these attendants pierre mentally sought to fill the three spacious anterooms now so deserted the stream of lackeys in blue liveries broidered with emblazonry the world of abbés and prelates in silk mantles appeared before him again setting magnificent and passionate life under the lofty ceilings illumining all the semi-gloom with resuscitated splendour but nowadays particularly since the italian occupation of rome nearly all the great fortunes of the roman princes have been exhausted and the pomp of the great dignitaries of the church has disappeared the ruined patricians have kept aloof from badly remunerated ecclesiastical offices to which little renown attaches and have left them to the ambition of the petty bourgeoisie cardinal bocanera the last prince of ancient nobility invested with the purple receives scarcely more than thirty thousand lira a year to enable him to sustain his rank that is twenty two thousand lira the salary of his post as camerlingo and various small sums derived from other functions and he would never have made both ends meet had not donna seraphina helped him with the remnants of the former family fortune which he had long previously surrendered to his sisters and his brother donna seraphina and benedetta lived apart in their own rooms having their own table servants and personal expenses the cardinal only had his nephew dario with him and he never gave a dinner or held a public reception his greatest source of expense was his carriage the heavy pair-horse coach which ceremonial usage compelled him to retain for a cardinal cannot go on foot through the streets of rome however his coachman an old family servant spared him the necessity of keeping a groom by insisting on taking entire charge of the carriage and the two black horses which like himself had grown old in the service of the bocaneras there were two footmen father and son the latter born in the house and the cook's wife assisted in the kitchen however yet greater reductions had been made in the anterooms where the staff once so brilliant and numerous was now simply composed of two petty priests don vigilio who was at once secretary auditore and majordomo and abbe paparelli who acted as train-bearer chaplain and chief usher there where a crowd of salaried people of all ranks had once moved to and fro filling the vast halls with bustle and colour one now only beheld two little black cossacks gliding noiselessly along two unobtrusive shadows flitting about amidst the deep gloom of the lifeless rooms and pierre now fully understood the haughty unconcern of the cardinal 
who suffered time to complete its work of destruction in that ancestral mansion to which he was powerless to restore the glorious life of former times built for that shining life for the sovereign display of a sixteenth-century prince it was now deserted and empty crumbling about the head of its last master who had no servants left him to fill it and would not have known how to pay for the materials which repairs would have necessitated and so since the modern world was hostile since religion was no longer sovereign since men had changed and one was drifting into the unknown amidst the hatred and indifference of new generations why not allow the old world to collapse in the stubborn motionless pride born of its ancient glory heroes alone died standing without relinquishing aught of their past preserving the same faith until their final gasp beholding with pain-fraught bravery and infinite sadness the slow last agony of their divinity and the cardinal's tall figure his pale proud face so full of sovereign despair and courage expressed that stubborn determination to perish beneath the ruins of the old social edifice rather than change a single one of its stones pierre was roused by a rustling of furtive steps a little mouse-like trot which made him raise his head a door in the wall had just opened and to his surprise there stood before him an abbe of some forty years fat and short looking like an old maid in a black skirt a very old maid in fact so numerous were the wrinkles on his flabby face it was abbe paparelli the train-bearer and usher and on seeing pierre he was about to question him when don vigilio explained matters ah very good very good monsieur l'abbe froment his eminence will condescend to receive you but you must wait you must wait then with his silent rolling walk he returned to the second anteroom where he usually stationed himself pierre did not like his face the face of an old female devotee whitened by celibacy and ravaged by stern observance of the rites and so as don vigilio his head weary and his hands burning with fever had not resumed his work the young man ventured to question him oh abbe paparelli he was a man of the liveliest faith who from simple humility remained in a modest post in his eminence's service on the other hand his eminence was pleased to reward him for his devotion by occasionally condescending to listen to his advice as don vigilio spoke a faint gleam of irony a kind of veiled anger appeared in his ardent eyes however he continued to examine pierre and gradually seemed reassured appreciating the evident frankness of this foreigner who could hardly belong to any clique and so he ended by departing somewhat from his continual sickly distrust and even engaged in a brief chat yes yes he said there is a deal of work sometimes and rather hard work too his eminence belongs to several congregations the consistorial the holy office the index the rites and all the documents concerning the business which falls to him come into my hands i have to study each affair prepare a report on it clear the way so to say besides which all the correspondence is carried on through me fortunately his eminence is a holy man and intrigues neither for himself nor for others and this enables us to taste a little peace pierre took a keen interest in these particulars of the life led by a prince of the church he learnt that the cardinal rose at six o'clock summer and winter alike he said his mass in his chapel a little room which simply contained an altar of painted wood and which nobody but himself ever entered his private apartments were limited to three rooms a bedroom dining-room and study all very modest and small contrived indeed by partitioning off portions of one large hall 
and he led a very retired life exempt from all luxury like one who is frugal and poor at eight in the morning he drank a cup of cold milk for his breakfast then when there were sittings of the congregations to which he belonged he attended them otherwise he remained at home and gave audience dinner was served at one o'clock and afterwards came the siesta lasting until five in summer and until four at other seasons a sacred moment when a servant would not have dared even to knock at the door on awaking if it were fine his eminence drove out towards the ancient appian way returning at sunset when the ave maria began to ring and finally after again giving audience between seven and nine he supped and retired into his room where he worked all alone or went to bed the cardinals wait upon the pope on fixed days two or three times each month for purposes connected with their functions for nearly a year however the camerlingo had not been received in private audience by his holiness and this was a sign of disgrace a proof of secret warfare of which the entire black world spoke in prudent whispers his eminence is sometimes a little rough continued don vigilio in a soft voice but you should see him smile when his niece the contesina of whom he is very fond comes down to kiss him if you have a good reception you know you will owe it to the contesina at this moment the secretary was interrupted a sound of voices came from the second anteroom and forthwith he rose to his feet and bent very low at sight of a stout man in a black cassock red sash and black hat with a twisted cord of red and gold whom abbe paparelli was ushering in with a great display of deferential genuflections pierre also had risen at a sign from don vigilio who found time to whisper to him cardinal sanguinetti prefect of the congregation of the index meantime abbe paparelli was lavishing attentions on the prelate repeating with an expression of blissful satisfaction your most reverend eminence was expected i have orders to admit your most reverend eminence at once his eminence the grand penitentiary is already here sanguinetti loud of voice and sonorous of tread spoke out with sudden familiarity yes yes i know a number of importunate people detained me one can never do as one desires but i am here at last he was a man of sixty squat and fat with a round and highly coloured face distinguished by a huge nose thick lips and bright eyes which were always on the move but he more particularly struck one by his active almost turbulent youthful vivacity scarcely a white hair as yet showing among his brown and carefully tended locks which fell in curls about his temples born at viterbo he had studied at the seminary there before completing his education at the Universita gregoriana in rome his ecclesiastical appointment showed how rapidly he had made his way how supple was his mind first of all secretary to the nunciature at lisbon then created titular bishop of thebes and entrusted with a delicate mission in brazil on his return appointed nuncio first at brussels and next at vienna and finally raised to the cardinalate to say nothing of the fact that he had lately secured the suburban episcopal see of frascati trained to business having dealt with every nation in europe he had nothing against him but his ambition of which he made too open a display and his spirit of intrigue which was ever restless it was said that he was now one of the irreconcilables who demanded that italy should surrender rome though formerly he had made advances to the quirinal in his wild passion to become the next pope he rushed from one opinion to the other giving himself no end of trouble to gain people from whom he afterwards parted he had twice already fallen out with leo thirteen but had deemed it politic to make his submission 
in point of fact given that he was an almost openly declared candidate to the papacy he was wearing himself out by his perpetual efforts dabbling in too many things and setting too many people agog pierre however had only seen in him the prefect of the congregation of the index and the one idea which struck him was that this man would decide the fate of his book and so when the cardinal had disappeared and abbe paparelli had returned to the second anteroom he could not refrain from asking don vigilio are their eminences cardinal sanguinetti and cardinal boccanera very intimate then an irrepressible smile contracted the secretary's lips while his eyes gleamed with an irony which he could no longer subdue very intimate oh no no they see one another when they can't do otherwise then he explained that considerable deference was shown to cardinal boccanera's high birth and that his colleagues often met at his residence when as happened to be the case that morning any grave affair presented itself requiring an interview apart from the usual official meetings cardinal sanguinetti he added was the son of a petty medical man of viterbo no no he concluded their eminences are not at all intimate it is difficult for men to agree when they have neither the same ideas nor the same character especially too when they are in each other's way don vigilio spoke these last words in a lower tone as if talking to himself and still retaining his sharp smile but pierre scarcely listened absorbed as he was in his own worries perhaps they have met to discuss some affair connected with the index said he don vigilio must have known the object of the meeting however he merely replied that if the index had been in question the meeting would have taken place at the residence of the prefect of that congregation thereupon pierre yielding to his impatience was obliged to put a straight question you know of my affair the affair of my book he said well as his eminence is a member of the congregation and all the documents passed through your hands you might be able to give me some useful information i know nothing as yet and am so anxious to know at this don vigilio relapsed into scared disquietude he stammered saying that he had not seen any documents which was true nothing has yet reached us he added i assure you i know nothing then as the other persisted he signed to him to keep quiet and again turned to his writing glancing furtively towards the second anteroom as if he believed that abbe paparelli was listening he had certainly said too much he thought and he made himself very small crouching over the table and melting fading away in his dim corner pierre again fell into a reverie a prey to all the mystery which enveloped him the sleepy antique sadness of his surroundings long minutes went by it was nearly eleven when the sound of a door opening and the buzz of voices roused him then he bowed respectfully to cardinal sanguinetti who went off accompanied by another cardinal a very thin and tall man with a grey bony ascetic face neither of them however seemed even to see the petty foreign priest who bent low as they went by they were chatting aloud in familiar fashion yes the wind is falling it is warmer than yesterday we shall certainly have the sirocco to-morrow then solemn silence again fell on the dark dim room don vigilio was still writing but his pen made no noise as it travelled over the stiff yellow paper however the faint tinkle of a cracked bell was suddenly heard and abbe paparelli after hastening into the throne room for a moment returned to summon pierre whom he announced in a restrained voice monsieur l'abbe pierre fromant the spacious throne room was like the other apartments a virtual ruin under the fine ceiling of carved and gilded woodwork 
the red wall hangings of brocatel with a large palm pattern were falling into tatters a few holes had been patched but long wear had streaked the dark purple of the silk once of dazzling magnificence with pale hues the curiosity of the room was its old throne an armchair upholstered in red silk on which the holy father had sat when visiting cardinal pio's granduncle this chair was surmounted by a canopy likewise of red silk under which hung the portrait of the reigning pope and according to custom the chair was turned towards the wall to show that none might sit on it the other furniture of the apartment was made up of sofas armchairs and chairs with a marvellous louis XIV table of gilded wood having a top of mosaic work representing the rape of europa but at first pierre only saw cardinal bocanera standing by the table which he used for writing in his simple black cassock with red edging and red buttons the cardinal seemed to him yet taller and prouder than in the portrait which showed him in ceremonial costume there was the same curly white hair the same long strongly marked face with large nose and thin lips the same ardent eyes illumining the pale countenance from under bushy brows which had remained black but the portrait did not express the lofty tranquil faith which shone in this handsome face a complete certainty of what truth was and an absolute determination to abide by it for ever bocanera had not stirred but with black fixed glance remained watching his visitor's approach and the young priest acquainted with the usual ceremonial knelt and kissed the large ruby which the prelate wore on his hand however the cardinal immediately raised him you are welcome here my dear son my niece spoke to me about you with so much sympathy that i am happy to receive you with these words pio seated himself near the table as yet not telling pierre to take a chair but still examining him whilst speaking slowly and with studied politeness you arrived yesterday morning did you not and were very tired your eminence is too kind yes i was worn out as much through emotion as fatigue this journey is one of such gravity for me the cardinal seemed indisposed to speak of serious matters so soon no doubt it is a long way from paris to rome he replied nowadays the journey may be accomplished with fair rapidity but formerly how interminable it was then speaking yet more slowly i went to paris once oh a long time ago nearly fifty years ago and then for barely a week a large and handsome city yes yes a great many people in the streets extremely well-bred people a nation which has accomplished great and admirable things even in these sad times one cannot forget that france was the eldest daughter of the church but since that one journey i have not left rome then he made a gesture of quiet disdain expressive of all he left unsaid what was the use of journeying to a land of doubt and rebellion did not rome suffice rome which governed the world the eternal city which when the times should be accomplished would become the capital of the world once more silently glancing at the cardinal's lofty stature the stature of one of the violent warlike princes of long ago now reduced to wearing that simple cassock pierre deemed him superb with his proud conviction that rome sufficed unto herself but that stubborn resolve to remain in ignorance that determination to take no account of other nations excepting to treat them as vassals disquieted him when he reflected on the motives that had brought him there and as silence had again fallen he thought it politic to approach the subject he had at heart by words of homage before taking any other steps said he 
i desired to express my profound respect for your eminence for in your eminence i place my only hope and i beg your eminence to be good enough to advise and guide me with a wave of the hand bocanera thereupon invited pierre to take a chair in front of him i certainly do not refuse you my counsel my dear son he replied i owe my counsel to every christian who desires to do well but it would be wrong for you to rely on my influence i have none i live entirely apart from others i cannot and will not ask for anything however this will not prevent us from chatting then approaching the question in all frankness without the slightest artifice like one of brave and absolute mind who fears no responsibility however great he continued you have written a book have you not new rome i believe and you have come to defend this book which has been denounced to the congregation of the index for my own part i have not yet read it you will understand that i cannot read everything i only see the works that are sent to me by the congregation which i have belonged to since last year and besides i often content myself with the reports which my secretary draws up for me however my niece benedetta has read your book and has told me that it is not lacking in interest it first astonished her somewhat and then greatly moved her so i promise you that i will go through it and study the incriminated passages with the greatest care pierre profited by the opportunity to begin pleading his cause and it occurred to him that it would be best to give his references at once your eminence will realize how stupefied i was when i learnt that proceedings were being taken against my book he said monsieur le vicomte philibert de la choux who was good enough to show me some friendship does not cease repeating that such a book is worth the best of armies to the holy see oh de la choux de la choux repeated the cardinal with a part of good-natured disdain i know that de la choux considers himself a good catholic he is in a slight degree our relative as you know and when he comes to rome and stays here i willingly see him on condition however that no mention is made of certain subjects on which it would be impossible for us to agree to tell the truth the catholicism preached by de la choux worthy clever man though he is his catholicism i say with his corporations his working-class clubs his cleansed democracy and his vague socialism is after all merely so much literature this pronouncement struck pierre for he realized all the disdainful irony contained in it an irony which touched himself and so he hastened to name his other reference whose authority he imagined to be above discussion his eminence cardinal bergerot has been kind enough to signify his full approval of my book at this bocanera's face suddenly changed it no longer wore an expression of derisive blame tinged with the pity that is prompted by a child's ill-considered action fated to certain failure a flash of anger now lighted up the cardinal's dark eyes and a pugnacious impulse hardened his entire countenance in france he slowly resumed cardinal bergeron no doubt has a reputation for great piety we know little of him in rome personally i have only seen him once when he came to receive his hat and i would not therefore allow myself to judge him if his writings and actions had not recently saddened my believing soul unhappily i am not the only one you will find nobody here of the sacred college who approves of his doings bocanera paused then in a firm voice concluded cardinal bergerot is a revolutionary this time pierre's surprise for a moment forced him to silence a revolutionary good heavens 
a revolutionary that gentle pastor of souls whose charity was inexhaustible whose one dream was that jesus might return to earth to ensure at last the reign of peace and justice so words did not have the same signification in all places into what religion had he now tumbled that the faith of the poor and the humble should be looked upon as a mere insurrectional condemnable passion as yet unable to understand things aright pierre nevertheless realized that discussion would be both discourteous and futile and his only remaining desire was to give an account of his book explain it and vindicate it but at his first words the cardinal interposed no no my dear son it would take us too long and i wish to read the passages besides there is an absolute rule all books which meddle with the faith are condemnable and pernicious does your book show perfect respect for dogma i believe so and i assure your eminence that i have had no intention of writing a work of negation good i may be on your side if that is true only in the contrary case i have but one course to advise you which is to withdraw your work condemn it and destroy it without waiting until a decision of the index compels you to do so whosoever has given birth to scandal must stifle it and expiate it even if he have to cut into his own flesh the only duties of a priest are humility and obedience the complete annihilation of self before the sovereign will of the church and besides why write at all for there is already rebellion in expressing an opinion of one's own it is always the temptation of the devil which puts a pen in an author's hand why then incur the risk of being forever damned by yielding to the pride of intelligence and domination your book again my dear son your book is literature literature this expression again repeated was instinct with so much contempt that pierre realized all the wretchedness that would fall upon the poor pages of his apostolate on meeting the eyes of this prince who had become a saintly man with increasing fear and admiration he listened to him and beheld him growing greater and greater ah faith my dear son everything is in faith perfect disinterested faith which believes for the sole happiness of believing how restful it is to bow down before the mysteries without seeking to penetrate them full of the tranquil conviction that in accepting them one possesses both the certain and the final is not the highest intellectual satisfaction that which is derived from the victory of the divine over the mind which it disciplines and contents so completely that it knows desire no more and apart from that perfect equilibrium that explanation of the unknown by the divine no durable peace is possible for man if one desires that truth and justice should reign upon earth it is in god that one must place them he that does not believe is like a battlefield the scene of every disaster faith alone can tranquillize and deliver for an instant pierre remained silent before the great figure rising up in front of him at lourdes he had only seen suffering humanity rushing thither for health of the body and consolation of the soul but here was the intellectual believer the mind that needs certainty finding satisfaction tasting the supreme enjoyment of doubting no more he had never previously heard such a cry of joy at living in obedience without anxiety as to the morrow of death he knew that bocanera's youth had been somewhat stormy traversed by acute attacks of sensuality a flaring of the red blood of his ancestors and he marvelled at the calm majesty which faith had at last implanted in this descendant of so violent a race who had no passion remaining in him but that of pride and yet pierre at last ventured to say in a timid gentle voice if faith remains essential and immutable forms change 
from hour to hour evolution goes on in all things the world changes that is not true exclaimed the cardinal the world does not change it continually tramps over the same ground loses itself strays into the most abominable courses and it continually has to be brought back to the right path that is the truth in order that the promises of christ may be fulfilled is it not necessary that the world should return to its starting point its original innocence is not the end of time fixed for the day when men shall be in possession of the full truth of the gospel yes truth is in the past and it is always to the past that one must cling if one would avoid the pitfalls which evil imaginations create all those fine novelties those mirages of the famous so-called progress are simply traps and snares of the eternal tempter causes of perdition and death why seek any further why constantly incur the risk of error when for eighteen hundred years the truth has been known truth why it is an apostolic and roman catholicism as created by a long succession of generations what madness to desire to change it when so many lofty minds so many pious souls have made of it the most admirable of monuments the one instrument of order in this world and of salvation in the next pierre whose heart had contracted refrained from further protest for he could no longer doubt that he had before him an implacable adversary of his most cherished ideas chilled by a covert fear as though he felt a faint breath as of a distant wind from a land of ruins pass over his face bringing with it the mortal cold of a sepulchre he bowed respectfully whilst the cardinal rising to his full height continued in his obstinate voice resonant with proud courage and if catholicism as its enemies pretend be really stricken unto death it must die standing and in all its glorious integrality you hear me monsieur l'abbé not one concession not one surrender not a single act of cowardice catholicism is such as it is and cannot be otherwise no modification of the divine certainty the entire truth is possible the removal of the smallest stone from the edifice could only prove a cause of instability is not this evident you cannot save old houses by attacking them with the pickaxe under pretence of decorating them you only enlarge the fissures even if it were true that rome were on the eve of falling into dust the only result of all the repairing and patching would be to hasten the catastrophe and instead of a noble death met unflinchingly we should then behold the basest of agonies the death throes of a coward who struggles and begs for mercy for my part i wait i am convinced that all that people say is but so much horrible falsehood that catholicism has never been firmer that it imbibes eternity from the one and only source of life but should the heavens indeed fall on that day i should be here amidst these old and crumbling walls under these old ceilings whose beams are being devoured by the worms and it is here erect among the ruins that i should meet my end repeating my credo for the last time his final words fell more slowly full of haughty sadness whilst with a sweeping gesture he waved his arms towards the old silent deserted palace around him whence life was withdrawing day by day had an involuntary presentiment come to him did the faint cold breath from the ruins also fan his own cheeks all the neglect into which the vast rooms had fallen was explained by his words and a superb despondent grandeur enveloped this prince and cardinal this uncompromising catholic who withdrawing into the dim half-light of the past braved with a soldier's heart the inevitable downfall of the olden world deeply impressed pierre was about to take his leave when to his surprise a little door opened in the hangings what is it can't i be left in peace for a moment 
exclaimed bocanera with sudden impatience nevertheless abbe paparelli fat and sleek glided into the room without the faintest sign of emotion and he whispered a few words in the ear of the cardinal who on seeing him had become calm again what curate asked bocanera oh yes santa bono the curate of frascati i know tell him i cannot see him just now paparelli however again began whispering in his soft voice though not in so low a key as previously for some of his words could be overheard the affair was urgent the curate was compelled to return home and had only a word or two to say and then without awaiting consent the train-bearer ushered in the visitor a protege of his whom he had left just outside the little door and for his own part he withdrew with the tranquillity of a retainer who whatever the modesty of his office knows himself to be all-powerful pierre who was momentarily forgotten looked at the visitor a big fellow of a priest the son of a peasant evidently and still near to the soil he had an ungainly bony figure huge feet and knotted hands with a seamy tanned face lighted by extremely keen black eyes five-and-forty and still robust his chin and cheeks bristling and his cassock over large hanging loosely about his big projecting bones he suggested a bandit in disguise still there was nothing base about him the expression of his face was proud and in one hand he carried a small wicker basket carefully covered over with fig leaves santo bono at once bent his knees and kissed the cardinal's ring but with hasty unconcern as though only some ordinary piece of civility were in question then with that commingling of respect and familiarity which the little ones of the world often evince towards the great he said i beg your most reverend eminence's forgiveness for having insisted but there were people waiting and i should not have been received if my old friend paparelli had not brought me by way of that door oh i have a very great service to ask of your eminence a real service of the heart but first of all may i be allowed to offer your eminence a little present End of section 5